always a blessing whenever we can get her. We take her. The, her face radiates Jesus, and I can tell you from our time with her in the sacristy, Jesus is in her heart, and that's what we feel in her singing. This morning, I want to remind us that we're talking about another step on our spiritual journey. If there's any, anything that haunts me as a pastor, it's this idea that we can come to church week after week, and nothing ever happens, and we kind of stay the same. I don't think that's God's plan. I firmly believe the Christian life is a journey, and we have a goal in mind, and our goal is to become like Jesus. And today I want to hold up in front of you a goal motivated by the Holy Spirit where we can take another step toward our Lord's likeness. And that has to do with honesty, a great need in our time. Time magazine discussed the growing vacuum of truth of which all of us are aware in our culture. And it describes <clears throat> society as, interesting use of words, a huckstering, show-busy world jangling with hype, hullabaloo, and hooray Bull baloney and bamboozlement. Now, that's an interesting word picture of life in our times. I don't quite have that vocabulary, but we know what the guy means, particularly in this election year with so much political rhetoric coming over the media. A lack of truth is serious because it's impacting us. It's impacting our attitudes. <laughs> A recent poll of Americans is alarming in that the vast majority, 87% of Americans, question the integrity of every professional, particularly politicians. I think that's very sad. One of our own congregations said, I don't expect people to be truthful in my world of business. I assume people stretch the truth just to survive. That's very sad, too. You see, conditioned as we are to live with half-truths, can cause us to become cynical, <clears throat> even despairing. We even begin to doubt each other, even in the family of God. We, be, we put a cynical spin, a distrustful spin on what we hear and how we relate. So I pray that God might use our text as another step in our personal spiritual journey, as well as for our whole church family, so that we might become living models of this truth, and that is that believers can be honest in dishonest times, that we don't have to be like the rest of the world out there. We can be trustworthy. We can be loyal friends. We can be people whose word is our bond, people others can trust and count on. I think that would be a good reputation for us, and it would bring honor to our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> First, I want to ask, what does it mean to tell the truth? Interesting, basic question. In Ephesians, we read, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And then in Colossians, do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you've put on the new self. <clears throat> Here we have a command to be honest. First, because we're related to each other, we're members of each other, there's bonds between us. And secondly, if we're a Christian, our life is to be spent on a journey getting rid of the old self that Jesus died for and putting on Christ-likeness. <clears throat> By definition, telling a lie would be simply this, any attempt on our part to deceive our neighbor. Now, after that said, it gets complicated because there are many, many ways we lie. Being a hypocrite is one form of lying. Jesus attacked the hypocrite of his day, remember, saying, you are like whitewashed tombs, outwardly appearing beautiful, but full of dead men's bones and all unclean inside. 
one of the classic stereotyped criticisms of people out there who aren't in here say, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And I always say, what's new? We know we're hypocrites and that's why we're here. Every one of us are seeking greater consistency between inside and outside. And we aren't there yet, but at least we want to be. We're on a journey. We want to get over the lying of hypocrisy. Distorting the truth to inflict hurt is another interesting form of lying we Christians use. I find that some of us kind of get a rush, if I'd call it that, from hearing something hurtful or slanderous about a person. For example, let's say we have some friends who have lived a high-profile lifestyle, and all of a sudden they hit a financial crisis. Or their kids who've been superstars suddenly get into trouble. How tempting to verbalize sympathy and empathy and we'll pray for you, but inside kind of get an inner satisfaction that uh, we who've been jealous of them perhaps through the years, now they are having their comeuppance and we, uh, we sort of lie inside of using the truth on the outside but lying on the inside about their condition. Because you see, if we truly love each other, love refuses to find pleasure in hearing about someone else's weakness or secret sin. Love always thinks the best and it gives the benefit of the doubt and it believes every failure is only a stepping stone to all that God has called that person to be. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have that very clean attitude toward each other in our weaknesses and failures and hardships and misfortunes? We're called to be, but most of us aren't there yet. And then lying can take the form of offering more truth than is appropriate. Isn't it interesting how the evil one can even use truth to turn it into lying? For example, God's commandment here, to be honest, does not demand we relate to others everything we know on every issue. In some situations, prayer and discernment are absolute prerequisites before we, quote, speak the truth in love. As I'm growing older, and maybe it's just hard experience, I'm finding very often that it's best to say nothing in certain situations until I'm absolutely convinced it's the loving thing to do. It will build up the person. It will help them on their spiritual journey. And above all, it will bring honor to the reputation of Jesus. And only if it passes that kind of litmus test do I want to open my mouth. But you know, turning the coin over, Keeping silent can be a form of lying. Cover-up is a, an all-too-familiar term in our society. And I find it takes discernment and prayer to know when and to whom we pass on information. Suppose we're tempted to... We're in a company that has a dishonest policy, and we're tempted to keep silent in order to keep our job. Or let's say we're covering up behavior of another Christian, which, if not exposed, will hurt innocent people. As you see, as we get into this subject, it gets very complex. I had a fellow go out the door at 5 o'clock telling me, you know, there is something I have to do. I have to go and tell the truth. What do I do? And I said, if you have to, and you know that it's absolutely something that God's leading you to, you pray for discernment, you pray for wisdom, and then you let the chips fall where they may. There are times when we have to tell the truth, as well as there are times when we should keep silent. And that's why I say we have to pray about it, we have to think about it, because words are extremely dangerous. Truth is a beautiful item that can be misused by Christians, either by omission or commission. I, I guess I've concluded that 
Telling the truth is really impossible apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this leads us to a, a second truth in our text. Why does God command us to tell the truth? Why is lying wrong? Kind of a basic question. Well, one writer claims dishonesty breaks the tissue of faith that holds every human community together. And our text says we're members of each other. We are a family in the most literal sense. Lying is wrong because it robs us of the bonds of trust that make for relationships. I would add also that lying is wrong because it robs us of the treasure of knowing we're persons of integrity. I can't think of anything worse than no matter how much money we have or how successful we've been, to know inside we really don't have any character, that we're really not persons who are honest. And we got to where we are and we had to compromise and we had to tell lies and that just rips us apart inside. Can you imagine the treasure of knowing we're people of character? And then going back to relationships and why God would command against lying, real relationships can't happen without truthfulness. Can you imagine a marriage without truthfulness, a friendship without truth? One writer puts it this way, without trust we change from a community to a pack, from a society to a gang. That sounds strangely familiar about what's happening in our culture today as truth disappears and we see the rise of gangs and packs and a lack of community and social contract between people. And then here's an interesting dimension. God commands us not to lie because without truth we have no history, nothing to bind us together. U.S. News did a very interesting article about an Ivy League campus, which we won't name. Many students on that campus have concluded that there never was a Holocaust. One male student put it this way, though it, the Holocaust, may not have, been hap may not have happened, it's a perfectly reasonable conceptual hallucination. Uh, this is a sophisticated way of saying, truth is up for grabs. I'll believe what I want to believe, and if I don't like what I see in a history book written by some biased, uh, European historian, I'll rewrite it around my biases, and my biases are just as true as what I read in a history book. In fact, in the Department of History, at that particular school, truth is taught to be nothing more than something you feel strongly about, or what you want it to be. The student preferred to believe the Holocaust was, an was, was a myth, an hallucination. And I would want to say, what would that guy say to a Jewish person with a tattoo on his arm? New Yorker's book critic James Wilcock claims making truth a matter of personal opinion is indicative of the blithe disregard of truth in, quote, postmodern thinking. In the postmodern, post-everything worldview, there is no objectivity or truth. Everything is relative. Nothing is better or truer than anything else. Brothers and sisters, I believe that when we talk about telling the truth today, we're talking about one of the most vital things in our country. I don't care what people are doing out there in terms of swimming in a sea awash of relativism. We as Christians are related, and we can praise God for it, to truth. Our truth is in two sources. Our truth is in the Bible. That is an uncompromising truth with a capital T by which we judge all other truth in our time. Secondly, we're related to a person, Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, and, our li and the life. Truth personified. Thank God that in our culture where people are swimming around in darkness, 
We don't have to be. We have truth. We can be honest. We can tell the truth because we follow the truth. And I feel that that is an absolute vital witness for us to hold up today in these dark times. And this leads us to a final and most important question. How can we find the power to tell the truth? That's really the issue. How can we live straight in a crooked world? Note our text commands us to put off falsehood, to put away lying. Like all spiritual growth, truth telling requires self-discipline. It just doesn't come like a diet doesn't happen without discipline or physical fitness or any of the other things we talk about. And it also requires help from the Holy Spirit. I would suggest that discipline toward greater honesty perhaps begins at the personal level at what we call white lies. Thought a lot about this this week. Suppose we're invited to a friend's house for a party. And we say, well, I'd love to come, but my calendar is full that day. And perhaps we'd been sitting at the table with our kids and they, we had just told them or each other that day, we don't want to go to that person's house. They're boring. The phone rings and they hear us tell this, quote, white lie. What's that say to our kids? And if they say we lie there, what's to stop them thinking, well, where else do my parents lie? Or, or let's say we exaggerate and sprinkle compliments to make people feel better or enhance a story to spice it up. You know, when I uh, give feedback to my staff, I have to be so careful when I'm telling them you're doing a good job that, I, that it's really true. Because if they think I'm just polishing the apple, it'll have a hollow ring and it'll break trust between our staff. And then there's a, another form of white lie very rampant this time around income tax, and it hit me this week when I went to my CPA. There was a, uh, my wife and I had given some charitable giving this year that we thought the government should allow as a charitable deduction. But the law didn't quite allow it. So in my mind, for a while it seemed logical, well, by George, if Uncle Sam will not let me deduct it, I'm going to fudge over here, because after all, it's sort of balancing out. We should be able to deduct, to deduct that. But then I ran into a wall. It's against the law. And if I lie there, what's going to prevent me from lying some other place? You see, lying is sort of like a virus. If you ever had a sore throat and you thought, well, I hope that won't turn into a cold, mine always does. But it always starts with a little sore throat. Then it really gets bad. I think lying, or let's put it positively, truth-telling in our life begins at the level of white lies. And if we stop it there, we can stop it from leading to the big stuff that infects us and ruins the reputation of Jesus. I personally concluded I need a miracle from the Holy Spirit working in my heart if I'm ever going to reach that level of honesty. Because monitoring my words this week, again, has been absolutely humiliating. I can tell white lies that fast. It just gets habitual. So I can only pray what the psalmist prayed, Lord, deliver me from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. And I would offer you that you need that same discipline because we've got deceitful hearts, desperately wicked, and only the Holy Spirit can change them. Another step of discipline toward greater honesty would be, guess what? We say it every week, join a small group. Why? Because when you're in relationship to people, it gets increasingly difficult to be dishonest. It's when we're alone, isolated from people. In fact, the more dishonest we become, the more secretive we become, the more withdrawn we become. But when you're in a small group where people are being honest and demanding of you that step of honesty, you're called to account every week about little lies and big lies. 
You see, a group is a place we share failures and doubts and fears and sins without judgment being thrown at us, but always the encouragement to keep on that journey to become something all that God has called us to be. I would offer that relationships are the best safeguards for honesty. And I don't think we can ever be totally honest unless we're in relationships. And this church is too big unless we're in a small group. And how we need those kind of friendships, how rare they are. And I believe that's why many of us sit here lonely today. We don't have really anyone we can trust and we kind of grow secretly more cynical and more alone. And then here's a good one. There's the discipline of combining truth with love. Again, back to that tight wire. Love does not cover up sin. It always seeks to have it confessed and exposed and forgiven. But how do you do that in a church without destroying people? Or how do you do it in a way that will bring a change to behavior? I've concluded that you have to be a friend of a person and have to earn their trust before you have any right to go and invade their life with some urging that they get rid of sin. But then, after we've earned trust and after we have love, I believe there's certain things we can say, like, I love you too much to stand by silently while you work yourself to death. I think that's legitimate to say to someone we love. Or I love you so much that I'm not going to pretend to be happy while you ruin your body by eating wrong, never exercising, and drinking too much. Or I'm not trying to run your life, but I'm concerned about the direction it's taking. If you've earned trust, if there's love, God might use those truth-telling moments to help a person redirect their lives. But I need to warn, uh, truth-telling doesn't always work out. It requires discernment and prayer. I was going to use an illustration of my wife, but instead I'm going to use an illustration of Bill Hybels and his wife, because it's a little safer. Bill Hybels <laughs> talks about making an unfortunate, truthful comment to his wife, and he writes, this little French poodle turned into a pit bull with both ears laid back, eyes on fire, and teeth bared. Why? Because he hadn't chosen the right moment and perhaps hadn't preceded it with enough prayer. He told the truth, but it wasn't the loving thing to do, and it blew up in his face. We have to be very careful in our use of truth. Truth-telling requires trust and discernment. <laughs> One guy <laughs> went out at 6.30 and he asked, what should I say if my wife asked me, honey, have I lost weight? And I told him he has to decide, but you know. <laughs> this is not an easy subject, folks. Let me suggest there are some mechanical steps as part of the discipline toward truth-telling, at least truth-telling about others that we can take. We can check out our facts, adopting the attitude that a person is innocent until proven guilty, and we won't have any part of anything in this church in which people are being talked about third, fourth, fifth hand. We just won't do it. Or we can ask ourselves, why am I telling this particular, quote, truth? Will it benefit the people involved? Will it bring glory to Jesus Christ? Have I talked personally to the person involved? And above all, can I be quoted? Most of those checkpoints would absolutely stop me in my tracks on most stuff that I talk about. Uh, very recently, a colleague came to me, actually last week, and he hesitated, but he said, I think I read your sermon, which was a mistake, so I'm going to come and tell you the truth. I know somebody overheard you talking about them on the staff, and they're hurt. And that just made me feel awful. 
And I decided, what should I do? So I kind of spent a time restlessly wondering what to do. And I said, there's only one thing I can do. So I went to the person. I didn't defend myself. You know, I said, I did it. I'm sorry. It just proves I'm not perfect at loving yet. It's the last thing in the world I ever would have done for you or to you. Please forgive me. And you know, that person did. And I hope that's the end of it. But then at our staff lunch, I went and told the entire staff of 60 of us what I had done and urged us all to be careful of this loose talk that comes out of our mouth that can be misconstrued, that can be a form of lying, a form of destruction to relationships. It was embarrassment and humiliation, I hope, that has driven me to be more careful about what I allow to come out of my mouth. Well, telling the truth is another important step on our spiritual journey, and it's not easy, as you've discovered. I want to close by reminding us, though, there are huge rewards for being tellers of truth. Truthful people, first of all, don't have to be haunted by the fear of exposure or discovery. This year, I hope the IRS audits me. Uh, we can sleep better at night with the assurance our lies won't come to haunt us. And, and, and I think this is the best one. We can have the inner assurance of feeling whatever else I am. I hope I'm known as a person who is honest and trustworthy. I don't often uh, urge movies, but I saw a movie that really moved me last week, Mr. Holland's Opus. And here was a guy who all his life had just been honest. And at the end, all these people with whom he had been honest came and praised him. And I thought, if, he didn't have any money, he didn't have a lot of fame, but he was known as a person of character. And I thought, God, at the end of my life, that's what I want. Uh, during the last rain, our roof decided to spring a lot of leaks. And there's nothing more boring than to spend money on a roof. But I went to a friend and asked him, do you know a good roofer? And he says, yes. I know a roofer who's a Christian. He really knows roofing. But you know what? He's honest as the day is long. And I thought, that's it. If I'm yearning for anything, for me as a pastor, for you as a church, family, I would urge that we would cultivate the reputation of being very good at what we do. But also, when people speak of us, they say, that person is honest as the day is long. I believe that kind of reputation brings glory and honor to Jesus Christ. And I would invite you to join me in taking another step on this journey. Because it's a journey, we aren't there yet. We're going to have mistakes. But let's at least seek the help of the Holy Spirit because we were here today to take another step toward greater honesty. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord, thank you for this truth, the word of God that just cuts right down to the depth of our souls, exposes us, convicts us, comforts us, gives us hope. We want to become like Jesus, as honest as he is. Lord, help us with your grace in Jesus' name, amen.